Hey guys, Terry here. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that Testimonies with Terry now has merchandise. We got shirts, long sleeve shirts, hoodies, crew neck sweaters, hats, and these items will be available for a limited time as the online store will close on October 27th. Now, if the initial run of orders does well, we can always open the store back up and do more, but we're testing the waters here to see if there's a demand. Now, this is important. All orders are going to be shipped to me by default. So if you know me personally and can arrange to meet up with me to get your items, you don't need to do anything. But if you don't know me personally, or you live somewhere far away from me, you'll need to add the shipping item to your cart and we'll get your items shipped anywhere in the United States. You can order these items at www.imagebuild.com forward slash TWT hyphen webstore.htm. And you don't need to worry about memorizing that link because I'll post it in the show notes for this episode and across all the Testimonies with Terry social media pages. Again, October 27th is when the store will close, so get your order in now. Thanks for the support, guys. Let's get to the show. You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Welcome everyone to episode 4 of Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host Terry Skaggs and thanks a lot for tuning in. We're at the halfway point of season 1 and what an incredible season it's been so far. I'm very appreciative of all the support you listeners have given to the show and we've had amazing testimonies from Mackenzie Fuchs, Denny Curran, and Ashley Benoit up to this point. Throughout the month of October, we've had different themes that we have focused on, such as Pastor Appreciation Month and Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we're going to close this month out with one last theme, as October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. Today's episode may be the most raw one to date. As you'll hear at the beginning of the interview, I didn't want to interview this week's guests because I know what they're walking through right now, and I didn't want to be insensitive or have it come across as them being exploited during their darkest hour. The Holy Spirit kept impressing it upon my heart, though, to ask them, and so I stepped out in faith and obedience, and my guests said yes. So today, you're going to hear a courageous couple open up about the hell they've been walking through since Labor Day weekend, but more importantly, you're going to hear how their faith in Christ is giving them hope and a focus to have an eternal perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, this is David and Melody Joseph's testimony. All right, guys, I am here with David and Melody Joseph. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. We're excited. So I know that we're we're catching you guys in, in a really raw moment right now, and uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't want to ask you guys to, to come on the show. This was something that I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to do, that I was supposed to reach out to you guys. And 
I kind of argued with him for a little bit and I said, I don't want to. And he said, no, ask them because their story can change the world. And, and so thank you guys for being willing to, to come on and, and share your story. Yeah. Thank you for being obedient. We really appreciate it. And we agree. We want this story and our testimony to change lives for the better. So that's what, where our faith is. And we're excited to just spend some time with you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll, uh, we'll kind of work up to current day events. Let, let's do what we always do. And that start at the beginning. So ladies first, Melody, we'll, we'll go with you. Uh, Melody, where did you grow up and what was family life like for you? Yeah. Thanks again, Terry, um, just for having us and, um, just this opportunity to share my testimony with you guys today. And, um, I grew up in Wadena, Minnesota, so um, in a small farm town, rural town, I grew up on a dairy farm. I had two brothers, two sisters, um, great, um, really a great family life, honestly. I was very blessed to grow up in a Christian home at the time. Um, I ended up receiving Christ as a very young um, toddler. I remember in Sunday school, um, my parents would teach Sunday school at our church, so they were very involved in our church. And um, I just remember really feeling just a heaviness of God's love on me that day. And I decided to give my life to him um, as we were in that little Sunday school class. And from there, you know, I really followed in the footsteps of my parents, um, as a lot of people tend to do, you know, when they grow up in that environment. And um, really, it wasn't until middle school that I really started to have just more struggles in life. Um, I kind of ended up just having a hard time like finding my own identity, you know, among amongst my siblings and my parents and actually finding my own path in life. Um, and I dealt with just a lot of insecurity and even some anxiety in school, um, trying to fit in, you know, having that peer pressure from friends kind of during those um years in school and middle school. Um, and then as I kind of uh, moved on into high school, making that harder transition, um, that's really when I experienced a lot more um, loss in my life. Um, when I was in eighth grade, I believe, um, one of my siblings, my oldest brother, I was very, very close to growing up. Um, we would do a lot of sports together. Um, he, we just had really similar personalities, and so he always took care of me when I was younger, and so we just had that bond, um, and there just ended up being a time um, that year when I was in eighth grade where he ended up cutting all ties off with our family, and it was kind of out of nowhere. No one was expecting it. Um, kind of all of our hearts were broken, especially mine as a young kid at that time in my life, um, because I was so close to him. He was someone that I could talk to about anything. We just had that bond and there was no explanation of why he would cut off those ties with our family. Um, and so for me at that time, I just kind of, it was like a loss of losing someone at that time and just so much confusion and questions and asking God, okay, what's going on? You know, why did he decide to leave our family essentially and not have any explanation? Um, and so through those couple years, um, I remember writing letters to him and just trying to call him, but he wouldn't have the same phone anymore. Um, and he just kind of disappeared in my life. Um, and our, our family and life just went on. Um, and so through those years, 
I developed some relationships with some good friends in high school. And um, I had one friend, um, her name was Mary, and we were really um, in similar kind of interests. We both loved animals. We both loved just growing up out in the country and just enjoying those types of things together. Um, But she kind of had a harder home life and she ended up committing suicide. And we lost her life as well. And again, I was hit with the same questions of why this reoccurring um, why just coming up and the confusion of it, everyone around us, you know, being confused. And at that point in my life, I really didn't know how to deal with it. I was in 10th grade, you know, those essential last years of high school, I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, No one really knew how to grieve around me. Um, No one walked me through it or explained it to me, and I kind of just pushed it aside and didn't really deal with it. Um, And that time, you know, I asked a lot of questions to God, and that is the time where I had a choice to either run towards God or run away from God. And I struggled with it a little bit because I was like, I don't know if I want to be on this journey if I'm going to lose people in my life that I'm so close to. Um, But I ended up going on a missions trip with our church actually that same year. Um, And that ended up being a really just awesome time that um, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and just inviting me in. Um, to just a place of his purpose for my life. And um, at that time, he spoke, you know, just gifts and talents that I had and being on the worship team at our church and pouring into the youth students um, that we were working with. And my life kind of just started to go uphill a little bit again from that and just starting to put my trust in him again and finding hope in that and purpose and identity because I had struggled with that. Um and so my last couple years of high school, um, you know, I ended up having a stronger relationship with God. It really developed, you know, it was really my own. I wasn't falling um, in the footsteps of just, you know, clinging on to the identity that my parents had in the church or even my siblings um, and really just making it my own relationship with God. And I ended up getting baptized and essentially recommitting my life to Christ. And so that was another big step for me. Um, and so my last couple of years, I was looking at, okay, where do I want to go to school? What do I want to do with my life? Um, and I really felt God calling me to something called Harlan Masters Commission. Um, and that was based in Cold Spring, Minnesota. And so I ended up looking into it. Um, I met the directors, Adam and Amber Haugen, um, that were running it at the time. And it just, it felt right. Like I knew the Holy Spirit was like, yes, this is where I want you to go. This is I, what I want for you in the next couple of years of your life. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, this is, I don't know much about this, but I said yes. And um, from there, I, I arrived um, at Cold Spring. I, you know, didn't really know anybody, um, but I was just really excited to have a fresh start than from some of my struggling years in high school of just identity and finding the right, you know, people to connect with. And um, I did that for a couple of years, and really um, my focus was on just a deeper relationship with Christ and knowing who I am in him and the purpose that I do have. Um, 
And along that road, you know, I made really great deep friendships. Um, I experienced a lot of encounters with God that I hadn't experienced previously, um, like actually hearing his audible voice for the first time. And I haven't heard it since, but it was just (laughs) one time that he spoke to me. And that was just really cool. I just was having a moment of solitude while I was in school. And, um, you know, when you hear that, if you ever have experienced that or do in the future, it's, it's amazing. Like, you know that it's him. There's nothing that compares to it. And just hearing him speak to me, like, and just really feeling like I am a child of God. I am his daughter. He has a purpose for my life. Um, and just really digging into the father's love, those two years and serving and going on mission trips and just experiencing, you know, the different cultures and that, um, you know, ways that other people worship God. And, um, it was just a really awesome two years of my life spent and so much, um, just spiritual feeding, I kind of call it just so much to absorb so much to learn. Um, and I feel like I've still been unwrapping that through these years. Um, but that's really just the testimony of, you know, God just bringing that comfort in times of life that. I experienced loss in my life and um, even now had continued and just continuing to feel his peace and his comfort with me, um, which we'll hit on in a little bit. But um, yeah, that's kind of my testimony of just coming to know Christ at a young age, but really truly understanding his love as I grew older. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's yep. awesome. So so there was a lot there that I'd like to unpack, um, yep. kind of going back. Where are you in the birth order? I am the youngest. <laughs> okay, of how many? Four. Okay. Yep, or five, excuse me. Four brothers and, or two brothers, two sisters. Yeah. Okay, so what yeah. was it like being the, the baby of the family? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I think um, my older siblings, and I think it's like this for so many families, but the youngest always gets spoiled or they get what I didn't. I, they, we didn't have that when we were your age, yeah. you know, um, but I know everybody loved me. I, you know, I have a great relationship with all my siblings right currently. Um, we're still praying for my other brother, you know, to come back in communication with us someday. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, there was a point, um, in time where my siblings were much older than me. And so I kind of almost felt like the only child for a little bit at home because everyone was graduated or, you know, gone onto things with their life. And I was still at home and, um, on the farm and stuff. And so, yeah. So did you have to help out on the farm with chores and, and things of that nature? Yeah, yep. I had certain responsibilities. Um, our family definitely was taught just good work ethic, you know, working hard, earning, you know, kind of what you have, and but also giving, you know, whatever you've been given to be given to someone else as well, um, and always having plenty, you know just using God's blessings for other people as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like middle school and high school is when some difficulty started to arise as far as finding your identity, which I feel like we all struggle with that mm-hmm. at, at that age. That's that's a really hard age. Uh, your, your brother cutting ties. Your friend, was it, that committed yes. suicide, Mary? Yep. 
So maybe let's start with with um, identity. So up to that point, who was Melody? What what did you think of yourself? You know, I really, I kind of took on the labels that other people put on me. Like, oh, she's the shy girl. She's the timid girl. Or she's really quiet. Like, those were kind of the main things because no, no one ever took the time to really get to know me or what find out like what my interests were and I was pretty reserved but like I wanted to be known and like everyone wants to be known right um and so that's kind of where I struggled like whatever people would say about me I'd kind of almost accept it instead of being like that's not who I am or that's not who God says I am um so yeah that's that's definitely how I took on my identity at that time so what was that like being the quote unquote shy girl throughout middle school, high school? Did you have a, a, a solid social network? Did you kind of feel like you were maybe alone because you had those labels on you? What was that like for you? Yeah, I, you know, I did end up having like a good group of friends in high school. And I remember having, you know, a couple specifically that um, were just strong Christ followers. And that's, even now, like I still talk to and have like those strong ties with, which is really cool. Um, a lot of other friends at that time didn't. And so I had these other fluences, you know, in my life and peer pressure. And, um, you know, I think people saying like, you know, how timid or shy I maybe was or not open about things like it kind of gave, ended up kind of that spin of anxiety a little bit. Um, because sometimes I did feel, feel alone because, um, I believed in God and, you know, chose to do things differently because of that. Um, and so there was a few select people that, you know, said things that maybe weren't the nicest. Um, and so that did create some anxiety, like in my life, um, or even just getting embarrassed about it or shamed about certain things. And gotcha. So how did you eventually? shed that label, shed those, you know, kind of words that were put on you mm -hmm. as far as you're the shy one, you're the reserved one, you're, you're the whatever. How did you shed that to become who you are now? Yeah. Um, I actually remember a specific time in high school. Um, a few years later, I went to Lake Geneva camp in Alexandria, Minnesota. Um, and I had went there several years before, you know, with friends and other people that I knew, but there was a specific year that I had went in high school, um, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's really when light was shed on who I really was, who my, what my identity was in Christ. And, um, I actually, and not a lot of people have necessarily experienced this, um, but I got filled with holy laughter from the Holy Spirit. I had never experienced that in my life. Um, it was such a cool experience, and I haven't had it since then, but I've been praying, you know, to be able to have that again. Um, but so for, for those listening who have no idea what, what you're talking yeah. about, how, how would you describe what holy laughter is? Yeah, you know, as a as a teenager, um, it was kind of just an interesting experience because they were just inviting anyone who wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, Spirit to kind of come down to the altar and just have time and pray, and they'd pray over you. And I remember specifically this older lady praying over myself and a couple friends that were with me, 
And, um, you know, she was just praying that we'd be filled with his peace and his presence and his joy specifically. And it was crazy because at that moment, just like extreme joy, just like swept over all of us. And we were just laughing for no reason. Like it was the craziest thing. Like imagine the thing in your life that makes you the happiest, but that like all the time, like constantly never ending. It felt like that, like just abundant joy, laughter. You didn't have to be told a joke to laugh or anything. Like that's just what it was. There was no words or anything. So really awesome experience. Yeah. I've had that myself and it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to put into words really. I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's a, uh, supernatural experience, right? Yes. So, so that's awesome that, um, that you had that gift and, and, and that experience that helped you kind of, uh, forge a new identity. It sounds like, so here we are now, as we're recording October, 2021, who is Melody Joseph now? Yes, I, um, I am a daughter of the most high King and yeah, I'm a child of God. That's who I am. And that's who he's called me to be. Going back to your brother. So your brother cut ties with you when you were how old? I would have been, let's see, I was in eighth grade. So at that time, I would have been like 13, 14. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And have you had any communication with him since then? I haven't. No, um, none of my family has. And we've all tried in different ways. Um, so that, that still has been hard, like for our family as a whole. Um, but I haven't lost hope. Like I continue to pray for him and his life specifically. And yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have any ideas of where he's at as far as like where he's living or just anything about that? We really don't. Um, we've tried like in some different ways to just find out, you know, what areas he's maybe in. And it seems like it changes a lot. And I, I think um, even just praying one day, like the Holy Spirit kind of just revealed to me, like his, even his identity, he's like running from, you know, sometimes people that change their identity, actually they're running away from something, right? They're kind, they're trying to change so that things can't be found or they can't be found, right? And so I, I feel from the Holy Spirit, there's some kind of struggle like with that. And being that I experienced like just some identity things, you know, I try to pray Mm. that over him, that he would know his true identity in Christ. So, yeah, yeah. that's, that's awesome in in a way that, you know, through that struggle that you had with your identity, that you're sensitive to that now. Mm. And and you can be praying for that for, for him. Do you guys have any ideas of why he cut ties with, with everyone? You know, that's a hard question. Um, we, I personally don't, I know there's some type of pain. I feel like there's some type of pain that he's experienced that he hasn't been able to heal from. And I don't know what that thing or person is. Um, and he was more like reserved as well and kind of closed off. Um, anyone that would try to get close to him, he'd kind of close off to and almost just get farther and farther and farther away um, to essentially what it had kind of happened. Um, 
But yeah, I guess there, those are some questions that I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And this podcast already, it's been crazy how it's spread. I was telling you guys that there's listeners in Germany, in Australia, in, in India. So shout out to all you guys. <laughs> so who knows? Your brother, you know, it's possible he could hear this. <laughs> what would you want to tell your brother? Um, wow. <laughs> um, that I love him and, you know, I just, and God loves him and it doesn't matter what he's done, where he's been. We're always going to accept him back. Like he doesn't have to feel the guilt or the shame. He's been, you know, God has paid the price for that and he's always loved. Yeah. 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 That's true love right there. And that response that, that you gave, that's mm-hmm. awesome. And I'll be, I'll be praying that um, there is a reunion there. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so Melody, we ended with you at Heartland Masters Commission. I think this would be a good time to switch over to David. And yeah. let's go with uh, David here, get to know his story of uh, just your, your life journey and how you came to Christ. So, David, uh, again, kind of the same thing. Where did you grow up and what was family life like for you? Sure. Um, first off, great job, Melody. I thought that was amazing. And one thing the Holy Spirit showed me, even just listening to your story again, and I've heard it a lot of times, obviously, I've been married for over seven years now, um, but just how similar it actually is to my upbringing. And I never used to think that. I thought, you grew up on a farm. I grew up definitely not on a farm. Um, I thought we were very different, but in going just kind of the struggles and, and the things that we faced, um, really pretty similar. So kind of cool. So I'll back up, but I was born in 1992. So I'll start back in the very beginning because I think it's important. Um, but I was born as a premature baby. I believe I was two months premature. Um, mom had preeclampsia when she was pregnant with me. So I was taking emergency C-section in July of 1992. Um, so with that came a lot of health complications from the very get go. Um, my lungs both collapsed. I was four pounds and then actually was less than that after birth. So very, very sickly. There wasn't a lot of hope in that situation. I spent 21 days in the ICU. Obviously, I don't remember any of this, um, but I, I've just told stories and and stuff like that. And, and so through that, um, I think I've always kind of that fighting spirit has been instilled in me from like day one. And, uh, I'm very, I'm very thankful for that. And God miraculously healed me um, from a lot of things. So growing up in my infancy and, and young childhood, I struggled with a lot of health issues, some asthma, some allergy stuff. I was always on a nebulizer, um, and just struggled with some of those developmental issues. Um, but over time, through the, the loving care of, of my parents, and really I attribute it to God, we overcame a lot of those issues. And here I am today, um, healthy as can be. Amen. Um, so that's been awesome. Um, but through my childhood, I grew up in a Christian home, just like Melody, amazing, loving parents, loving siblings. I'm the oldest, so I guess that was an opposite in our story, um, which has been fun. I, I, uh, my parents were both are both amazing. They're still together to this day. And uh, my dad has an amazing, um, loving demeanor. He um, has kept our family together and given us just steadiness through our whole life, whether that be financial steadiness, um, spiritual steadiness, emotional steadiness. We've just always known that he's there and he's got our backs. And so I think that's that was just something that I never had to question. And I'm really thankful for that. My mom 
is the same way. Um, she was a stay at home mom for the most of my life that I remember. And my siblings always joke that she probably did too much for us, <laughs> um, which is probably true, but, uh, it was all done in love and for the best of intentions. And she's an amazing caretaker, um, absolutely selfless woman of God. So I'm really, really thankful for my upbringing in that way. Um, my dad was a successful business owner, is still a successful business owner. And so my family gravitated towards sports. Um, we were always encouraged to do our best in, in everything that we did. And so we, I wouldn't even call it that we had a lot of pressure, but it was just a lot of encouragement to be great at everything that we did. So I gravitated towards that as a young boy. Um, I, I kind of did a little bit of everything. I played football, baseball, wrestled, even did some cross country and other stuff like that. And, um, really enjoyed that, still enjoy that stuff to this day. Um, and I learned a lot through it and I learned how to work hard, how to go after things. Um, nothing really came very easy to me, um, as an athlete. And I'm actually really thankful for that, um, because I really did have to put in the work to accomplish what I wanted to do. And, uh, so that was a lot of my, my early childhood, um, kind of a leave it to beaver situation, great parents, um, great family, great schools. I actually, I, I started in, um, the St. Michael Albertville area. And then my story transitioned a little bit in ninth grade and my family moved out to Kimball, Minnesota. And, uh, that's when life started to change a little bit for the better, but also got a little bit more challenging as well. Um, first off, it was kind of a culture shock moving out to Kimball from the St. Michael area. Um, what were some of the big differences there? You know, just the pace of life is slower. Um, there's not as much to do in the natural. Um, there, you know, this town is just a little four way stop and, and a lot of farm and, um, class, our class size was less than 60 people, whereas in St. Michael it was 400. So I kind of felt like I was known by everybody right away, especially being the new kid in ninth grade. And, and, uh, it wasn't just like a number or a stat anymore, but, my, my identity actually mattered. And, uh, that was kind of a, a cool transition. Uh, but I'll share a funny story that kind of encapsulates moving to Kimball. But I shared that my parents and our family were really involved in sports. And so one of the first things my dad did was he built this big pole building and filled it with wrestling mats and weight equipment. And, um, so everyone could train and, and get better there. And we brought one of my new friends out and then I met in Kimball for the first time and he, we drove up to our place and he sees this big red barn that's, you know, I know is filled with wrestling mats and weight equipment. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, uh, wow, I wonder how many cows you could fit in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I'm just in a different world, you know? Yeah. Um, you aren't in uh, St. Michael anymore. <laughs> yeah. So just dealing with some of that stuff. And, uh, through that, I, I was actually... I really love Kimball. I, I love the fact that I graduated from here and I'm still connected to this day. I serve as the head wrestling coach today, um, but really loved my experience in high school. I got, had a couple amazing friends that welcomed me right away. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of issues there, which I'm really thankful for. And then one of the, the really cool things about moving out here, and Terry, you're really familiar with this, but I got involved with River of Life, um, which was is an amazing church and amazing leadership and incredible, incredible youth um, focus. And for me, that's exactly what I needed. Uh, growing up, I we had 
God was always very, very real to me. Um, we always went to church mostly every Sunday, but we typically went to a, a mega church where I didn't really connect super well. And we were always really busy with sports and stuff. So I didn't really get super deep in my relationships at church. And when we moved here, that was really something that changed. And I fell in love with Kirby St. John, who was the youth, youth pastor right away. Um, and was able to start bringing kids from Kimball to youth group. And, and it was just really a really cool time in my spiritual life where it's kind of started to become my own and not necessarily my parents anymore. And through that transition, I was invited to MYC, which ironically is going on this weekend as we record this, this podcast. Um, and MYC is what Minnesota youth convention. So it's hundreds of youth students that get together in Rochester, Minnesota, just to hear great speakers and music and really life-changing event for a lot of people, uh, myself included. And, to me, it actually is a little bit of a deeper meaning. Um, the first year I went, boy, I, I don't remember how long it was ago. I'm going to date myself, but it was a while ago. <laughs> you old man. you. <laughs> and uh, I was there with some some friends and we were having a great time staying in a hotel without our parents. You know, what kid doesn't love that? And uh, I remember sitting in my hotel room and I, I looked at my cell phone. We had just gone swimming. And so I left my phone there and we came back and I had like, 50 voicemails and phone calls and which I never get. I was like a sophomore in high school and uh, I was like, Oh man, what's going on? And I realized through the course of the next moments that um, a dear friend of mine was actually my girlfriend at the time we were dating from St. Michael. I had gotten in a severe ATV accident and uh, basically long story short, she was involved in the, in the rollover type accident and was crushed uh, by the ATV and suffocated and she was airlifted to North Memorial Hospital, um, fighting for her life. And I remember one of the biggest impacts that Kirby ever made was he himself with NYC going on with hundreds of students under his watch, um, took me in a van and drove all the way to Minneapolis, um, so that we could go see her and pray with her and, and, uh, and do that. So that was just an amazing moment for me, um, in my life and, it was at that moment where I think my faith really became real. I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, you're going to have to stand on the word for this miracle. And I, I actually literally did that. I don't know if that was disrespectful or not, but I was by her hospital bed and put a Bible and stood on it and was reading uh, Bible verses for healing and just believing um, for the best outcome in that situation. And it was really just a time where I felt really close to God and felt like he was going to come through in an amazing way and just really excited for that and that testimony that that was going to be to our community and the people around us. And, um, unfortunately it didn't work out that way. And so kind of like your story, there I was as a sophomore dealing with the why questions and dealing with God, I thought I did this all right. I'm going to church now. I've got my life cleaned up. You know, I, I'm praying. I'm literally standing on the word. Why did this not work out? I don't understand your ways. And I think in that moment, back in the day, um, at church, they used to have the seniors get up and actually give a testimony before we left for college. I don't think we do that anymore, but I was one of the lucky ones who had to get up on stage and speak in front of the whole church. <laughs> and I remember sharing the verse, Matthew five, verse four, which I really like, I'll pull it up in the message version here, but it says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you because only then can you be embraced by the one that is most dear to you. And 
I think that was a verse that really helped me through that time. And it really came to pass. I, I think, um, I, that's the, just like Melody in your story, I had two options to say, okay, forget this God, this isn't working out or to really lean in and be embraced by him who is the one that's most dear to me. And so that's the option I took. I'm really thankful for that. Um, and the rest of my high school career was awesome. <laughs> I mean, getting through that was terrible. Um, but I think even through that, I saw God work in me and in my community and my friends. And we went on to do some awesome things athletically. Um, we took a wrestling team to state for the first time in, I think, decades. Um, so God gave us a really cool platform there. I think we had over 30 kids come into youth group on a normal Wednesday night from Kimball, which never happened before, probably never happened since. Um, so God just did some amazing things and, and gave me an awesome platform in this community. And, uh, so with, with that, I really just kind of wanted more and a little bit like your story, just kind of, what are my next steps? Where do I go from here? Um, and so I decided to go to Northwestern college or Northwestern college at the time in St. Paul. Now it's called university of Northwestern. It's a Christian school in St. Paul. They had division three baseball. So I wanted to do that. Um, and like you had some of the best years of my life. I have amazing lifelong friends from that experience, um, really grew as a follower of Christ, um, got to play sport that I loved. Um, it was really, really just an awesome experience all around. Um, and in, in and around 2013 now, I think my baseball career ended because of a stress fracture in my back. And at that point I was at peace with the whole thing. Um, but I really kind of felt called back in this direction. I was finishing up with school and kind of baseball wasn't a piece anymore. So there wasn't a lot like keeping me there at Northwestern and HMC was going on. And Adam was kind of rope, who was the director at the time, kind of roping me in to help with some fitness stuff, which I loved doing. And so I kind of found my way back here, plugging in with the youth group and the master's commission again. And that's kind of where our relationship started. So yeah, then we get to Heartland Masters Commission where you guys meet. But before we get into that, David, I just want to point out too, after the death of your girlfriend, you, you had two choices there, right? Like yeah. I can either just go down this trail of why God. And sometimes that doesn't always lead to the best of places that can lead you to some really dark places. Yep. Or you can go down the other road where it's just like, God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to continue to just follow you and trust you and pursue you in all this. And it sounds like that's the route you took. Yeah. And I think that that just shows your heart for, for Christ and, and, and your, your character and your integrity. And so I just wanted to, to really highlight that because that's, man, I can't imagine what you were going through at that time. I mean, uh, being by her bedside and, and, and seeing the condition that she's in and just, proclaiming with all your might to just truth over her and healing over her and for mm -hmm. it to not go in that direction can be incredibly discouraging. Mm -hmm. And even though you, it sounds like you allowed yourself to feel it, you didn't allow it to consume you. Mm -hmm. And and you went the other way with that and, and just choosing to dig deeper yeah. in, into your relationship with God. And I, I just think that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. One thing I'll share on that because I just remembered about it, but her father coined the phrase when we were going through everything in the hospital that was biblically based. I forget the reference, but basically he just said, today is the day. And, and he was meaning, and, and today is the day that we get good news that we get 
confirmation of healing. And, and even after she passed, we kind of kept that phrase going where today is the day of salvation. Today is the day the Lord has made. And so I think we were really able to move on and move through that. Um, just taking it day by day, like today is all we got and, and really just trying to live for today and in today. So I think that was really helpful too. Yeah. One day at a time. Mm -hmm. and, and like Jesus says in the sermon on the Mount, tomorrow we'll have enough worries of its own. Yep. You know, let's just focus on today. So now we're at Heartland Masters Commission. Melody, you're a student there. David, you're kind of helping out with some of the athletic stuff yeah, there. Kind of on staff, so to speak, I guess. <laughs> Not getting paid, though. <laughs> <laughs> you have to hit uh, Adam and Amber up for some uh, back pay there, huh? <laughs> so then, yeah, kind of walk us through how you guys kind of started dating then. Who, who was interested at first? Like, how, how did that all unfold? I think Melody, well, I'll back up a little bit. HMC used my parents' property for dormitory purposes. So we, they had a, a beautiful, still have a beautiful lodge. They live in it today where there was like four bedrooms with bathrooms connected and then a separate building where there was more bedrooms. And it was just kind of a perfect setup for a college dorm, probably really way too nice. Um, you guys were worth it though. But, <laughs> but they were allowing HMC to use their property for um, dorms. And so I was the lucky single guy who lived on the property with 15 single girls. And so it was kind of, I think it was looking back, it was a little bit, my dad setting me up as the bachelor. I think I was part of his motivation <laughs> with everything. Um, but, uh, that's kind of how, like I first got to know you because she stayed back and helped with property maintenance. So my dad hired a few HMC students and Melody was one of them to just stay back at, over the summer after school's over and help with property maintenance mostly. Um, so then I was involved with her and with a couple other students leading that and helping out. And some friends from my college were around too. Um, so we kind of just had a summer together. It was really awesome. You know, summer that you dream about that they probably write movies about where we were just working our nine to five and then having bonfires and going to Valley fair and going to ball games and all kinds of stuff like that. So I don't know if you have a, a different perspective on it, but yeah, a little bit. I'll just share from my <laughs> point of view. <laughs> so I finished my first year of masters and, um, went through graduation of that first year of the program. And then like he said, um, his father, hired some of us for the summer. So I decided instead of going home that summer that I would stay. And, um, with a couple of my roommates from Harlan Masters Commission, and they know who they are because they're probably going to listen to this <laughs> and laugh. Um, but we all lived together that summer. And yes, like he said, we got to work together essentially. But before that, I specifically remember, um, a time during my first year when we all met um, David, our whole entire class, um, during a fitness boot camp week. And yeah, that was very interesting. Um, I didn't, that was the first time I met him, but I didn't really know what to think of him because at the time your dad might be upset that I'm saying this, but he was <laughs> showing a picture of him to all the girls. Yes, he definitely was that guy. And I was like, I don't know. I, I don't think that's the guy for me. 
And I kind of <laughs> put that on the back burner. So so wait, he he was just kind of like walking around like, hey, this is my son. Yes. You know, just just put it out there. Yes. You know, just so you know, this yep. is him. Yep. To everybody, <laughs> yes. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so after that um, year, during that summer, like he said, you know, we were kind of just really working together and not necessarily... I didn't know that he liked me at the time, but we were kind of just hanging out as a group of friends, which was really great. Um, and then he ended up asking me um, to go to Valley Fair with him and uh, the people we had been working with. And it was kind of a cover up, actually, because it was one of their birthdays. And he called me about setting it up and everyone else was like, oh, he likes you, you know. <laughs> This is what this is about. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's so-and-so's birthday. That's really what it's about, you know. Oh, totally. innocent melody. Yeah, completely <laughs> oblivious. Um, still kind of am today. But, <laughs> but um, we set that up. We went. Um, and that's kind of when everyone kind of realized that, yeah, he really does like you and wants to pursue you. And so, um, yeah, after that, you asked me, David, on a date, we went on to a Twins game, and I'll let you talk a little bit about that. <laughs> well, and, and before we do, David, what was that like for you going back into a relationship? It, it sounds like the last relationship that you were in, obviously a very tragic ending. What was it like for you to kind of, I, I guess you, you put yourself out there, but it sounds like your dad really put you yeah. <laughs> out there. But what was it like just kind of like, I don't know, just kind of putting your heart on the line and being vulnerable again? Yeah. You know, I, I think it really just came down to trusting God. Um, you know, it would, it had been a long time, you know, since the accident and, and since all that stuff. And so there, there'd been a lot of time for God to heal and mend those things. So I think it was really just, um, the timing and then the Holy spirit just working and giving me peace about the whole thing. Like I, I, I don't, I didn't even really think about it looking back. So that's probably a good sign. Um, yeah. So then you go to the Twins game for your first date. <laughs> yeah. So I asked Melody to a Twins game. Um, I didn't know if she liked the Twins or not. But they were playing the Yankees. It was July 1st. Um, and we got tickets like four rows up behind the Yankees dugout. And this was Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera's last year. And so I was like kind of geeking out about it. Like, oh, there's Derek Jeter. He's going to retire. There's Mariano Rivera. He's one of the greatest of all times, you know, and. Melody's just like, I have no idea who these people are. <laughs> but one of the things that we always talked about in college and in HMC was about, you know, just making your intentions clear when you're dating and kind of defining the relationship. And so I took the opportunity um, before the game. We got there really early. We kind of walked around the stadium. It was a brand new target field at the time and um, went up into center field. And I just like poured my heart out about how I felt about her, how I still feel about her, you know, how much I respect her and, and, and like her. I want to pursue a relationship with her. And she literally just said nothing. And it was like, I was like, Oh no, what did I, was this too soon? Was it too strong? And, and this was before the game. So I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to sit nine innings with yeah. this person that I'm not even sure really wants to be here anymore. This is going to be a long game. <laughs> and so I don't even remember the baseball game. I'm trying to like not think about it and watch. And I'm just like, okay, she's literally not saying anything. And uh, 
we went through the whole game. It was pretty awkward. I didn't really know what to say. And we got back in the car and we were driving back, driving back. And she finally, we made it like all the way back to like the Rogers exit from Minneapolis all the way to Rogers. <laughs> and she finally looks at me and she says, you know what you were talking about earlier? And I was like, oh boy, what's she going to say now? You know, and she just said, I feel the same way. <laughs> so, so I was like, all right, we got something here. <laughs> so Melody, what was going through your mind as David has you in center field before the game, pouring his yeah. heart out to you. Uh, yeah. What, what was kind of going through your mind? Yeah, man, that was, I laugh at it today. And of course <laughs> our families laugh at it today. At the time it was, I was honestly shocked because all my life I felt like, again, with my identity, like, was I really like a special person? Like, would really someone really accept me for who I was and all the nitty gritty, you know, and I was kind of afraid of that a little bit, honestly, and oblivious at the same time, like, okay, he really likes me. I can't believe it. It felt like a movie. And, um, I was just, I, I was still a little timid at that time. Like, okay, what do I say? I didn't know what to say. And yeah, it kind of ended up happening that way, just like he described. And, um, from there, you know, we ended up spending more time together. Um, I always looked up to him because he was always just a great example of Christ. Like he was always so giving and just really meaningful with what he said. He was very intentional and things even like I got to watch him even at youth group and pouring into students and even through the Kimball school and just like how he reacted with people and the kids and the influence he had on them. And that's what I really fell in love with and just who he really was to the core. So, yeah. So then did it just take you, I mean, a baseball game's three and a half hours drive from Minneapolis to Rogers <laughs> is like, you know, 30 minutes. So did it take you just that four hours to kind of process through everything and be able to yeah. tell him that, Hey, I feel the same way. Pretty much. Yeah. I was kind of almost <laughs> afraid to say it even, I don't know why. It was just my mind like kind of spinning, but I also kind of wanted to make him wonder <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Put him to the test. Yeah. So then you guys essentially enter into a relationship at that point. Here you are married now. How long did you guys date before, David, uh, you popped the question? You don't know. <laughs> we So we dated for about 10 months before we were um, engaged. So kind of, I went back in, I did a second year in Harlem Masters Commission. And I didn't, I honestly, at the time didn't know if I was gonna, you know, what that year would look like and, or if I would be doing a third year. Cause at the time you could do a third year if they accept, accepted you back to be on staff essentially. And I didn't, I just didn't know, you know, where God was going to take things. And so as I started my second year, and we were dating. Um, we had the opportunity to be able to go on a missions trip. So in master's commission, we usually would do two, at least a couple mission trips, whether in the U.S. or out of the U.S. And I had done one previously, and um, they were doing a trip to Africa. And so I was going to be going on to that. And somehow um, David was able to jump on that trip as well. Um, so as we were dating, it was kind of a cool experience to be able to go on that together. Um, but I can let you ex explain a little bit kind of 
um, what we did on that trip and what ended up happening from there. Yeah, that was kind of a turning point, I think, in our relationship. It was really cool um, to be in that spot. We got to go on like a safari and see lions and elephants and giraffes and all that kind of stuff and got to minister to uh, Muslim people in a, in a closed country and see some pretty cool things happen. And um, yeah, we just kind of grew closer together as I watched her kind of like what you described, just how you minister to people and, and your heart for people and um, just really falling in love with you and in your heart uh, on that trip. And uh, I think, I think jokingly too, I'll say she got proposed to like three or four times on that trip all before I got the chance to. So I was like, I better, I better get her married off here pretty quick or someone else is going to snatch her up. So who was proposing to her? Um, just the different, like they had never seen people with blonde hair over there. Mm. And so they would literally just walk up and ask if she wanted to marry him. And I was like, Holy crap. (laughs) What are you guys doing? Um, yeah. So then I kind of felt like this was the right girl for me. And, and in talking to my parents and some mentors about that, they're just like, Oh, I don't know why you would wait. So literally the night you graduated was the night that I asked you to marry me and the rest is history. Yeah. (laughs) So then how long have you guys been married now? Over seven years. So we just celebrated seven years, October 4th. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, kind of looking at each of your guys' lives, like, like you said, David, you guys grew up in different circumstances, but went through similar situations as far mm-hmm. as just dealing with what, life, what loss is like. And so you guys get married. And I think in our society, there's kind of that natural progression, right? You, you date, you get engaged, you get married, you have kids. Mm-hmm. And so did, was that something that you guys talked about before you were married as far as like, how soon did you want to start a family? How many kids did you want? Like those, those kind of things. Yeah. I think we talked about all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't remember the specifics of what we decided, but obviously probably didn't work out that way anyways. But, uh, yeah, we were always dreaming about that kind of stuff. And so how soon did you guys start trying to have children after you guys, uh, were married? We started our third year, right? You can, there you go. Sure, I can explain a little bit. I remember the timelines a little bit more. <laughs> um, yeah, it was about two and a half years into our marriage um, because we both collectively kind of had decided we wanted a couple years to really build that foundation. We just felt like it was really important to build that foundation in our marriage and make sure that we were grounded, not just each separately in God, but as a whole, as a family, before we had started a family that we were and you know i'm thankful that we did that because now going through what we have went through we had that foundation whereas things like these that we'll be talking about and describing that people go through in life can definitely break that completely apart and people can separate or even things happen like divorce and we i'm so thankful that god protected us um, and has protected us from that um, because we did choose to build that foundation in the beginning of our marriage. Um, but two and a half years in, we kind of decided like it's time, you know, we felt comfortable and ready and excited. A lot of people around us, um, friends that we had were, you know, starting their own families and we just felt it was time and we felt good about it. Even 
um, just where we were at in life. Um, it just felt like a good time. Um, and so we did. And um, for us, we were able to get pregnant right away. We didn't have any issues. Um, and I know that some people don't have that opportunity. And for us, you know, we were naive, we were young, we didn't know the things that could happen or not happen. You know, we had no idea. We hadn't, you know, been through anything really yet and didn't really know what to expect. Um, and so obviously we were completely excited, um, so happy to become parents and just look forward to like this, this joy in this next season of life. Um, and so we ended up um, just agreeing that we would tell, you know, just our parents at least um, uh, that we were expecting and that they'd be having their um, first grandchild on his side. And so we were really excited about that. Um, and so we ended up telling them we were about just about um, eight weeks when we told them um, the news. And so they were excited. They're like, we'll be praying, you know, with you guys, but obviously over the moon excited. We were excited. And um, just a couple of days later, um, we were eight weeks and we ended up losing um, our first baby at that time. And I'll let you describe a little bit about that. Yeah. I've told this story to numerous people now, but just for this audience, it might be helpful because it's almost like pain has a way of searing these memories into your mind. And I remember this day, it was October 1st, 2017. You said I wasn't good at timelines, but (laughs) (laughs) some, some dates just stick out. And, um, I remember it because my dad and I actually had tickets to the Vikings game. And, um, it was from a, a client of ours that had tickets on the field. It was one of those premium seats that's right on the turf and I was super excited. I'd never been to the stadium before and uh so looking forward to it probably for months and spending time with my dad after just telling him this exciting news. And uh that morning when Melody started having symptoms of loss, I had to call him and just say, Hey, I'm not gonna be able to make it. It was really tough phone call to make. Um not because it couldn't go to the game, but really because explaining to him what was potentially happening and and we were standing in faith and we kind of went to the emergency room it was a sunday like i said so we went to the emergency room and um i just remember you know i should have been i should have been at the game and the vikings are kind of my love language so i don't like elevate them above anything but they're just kind of been a fan since 1998 and they broke my heart a lot of times so it's kind of how i deal with things i guess but (laughs) Um, I remember thinking, you know, I should be at this game. Now I'm watching it in a hospital room and my baby's future is in question and my wife is feeling horrible. And, um, I remember looking up at the screen, we were playing the Detroit lions and Delvin cook tears his ACL. We lose the football. We lose the game. The doctor comes in the door and says, there's no heartbeat. You were going to miscarry this baby. And it happened like in the same moment and I, it was just like so much pain and so much frustration and so much um, hurt and shock kind of right away. And just like, hey, is this a weird dream that I'm living in? And, and uh, so, yeah, it was just a really, really tough day that's kind of been seared into my mind. But so going, going through that, um, 
was obviously super, super heartbreaking. Um, my heart goes out to anybody who's dealt with miscarriage or, or infant loss or anything like that. Um, it's just, it's just hard to have those, that roller coaster of emotions where you're so excited and, and, uh, we just got done telling our families and, and then having to make that call to say, actually, it's not going to happen. And just really, really dark days. Yeah. I, 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 I literally can't imagine cause I, I haven't been through that, but I, I, yeah, I can't imagine just the, like you said, David, the wave of emotions that, that you go through, how did you guys work through that mourning process, that grieving process with, with that miscarriage? You know, I think, um, being this far removed from it now, I actually don't think we dealt with it super well. I, I wish, I wish we would have known what we know now, um, about miscarriage and about infant loss. And there's a stigma in our society that we hope to kind of eradicate through our story. And maybe this helps in some way that, you, people just don't talk about it. Like it, it's just, it didn't happen or we push it aside or um, a lot of people didn't even know we went through it. And it was, we didn't know what to say. We didn't, we didn't realize that one in four couples actually go through this. And um, so I think we kind of just at that point, you know, we were, we were trusting God. We were crying out to God. We were doing those things kind of like what we had described in our earlier grief process but at the same time, just really kind of rushing to get pregnant again and, and kind of looking forward to, I don't want to say replacing this baby, but that's kind of what it felt like. Like, okay, if we can just get one more on the way, then we'll forget about all this. And Yeah, I just wanted to add as you're kind of talking about that, just backing up a little bit after we um, lost and we have decided to name all of our babies. And so we had named our baby Esther. And the reason why that's why I wanted to share, um, after, um, we had lost her that Sunday, we had, you know, had to call everyone, tell everyone the news, which was gut wrenching. Um, but we got to actually talk to my father and he, um, the next day, excuse me. So he had a dream the same day that we lost our daughter, Esther, um, and he had a dream that he saw a little girl in heaven running up to him and saying, grandpa. And that's when we knew like to us, she was a girl and we were going to name her Esther. And so that's what we stuck with. It also just helped, helped us as well, just to give her an identity as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of going through that processing that, like David said, you know, it was hard but again, we didn't know how to grieve. Like we didn't know how to heal from something like that. No one had walked us through. I mean, it was, it was a roller coaster. And most doctors and people that we had seen at that time said it's very common. Everyone almost, you know, most people experience it. Um, just try again. You know, that was just the constant phrases we kept Mm-hmm. saying like almost everyone experiences it and almost like it was no big deal, but to us it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did kind of, you know, move forward a little bit essentially by working with an, a different doctor and doing some things, finding some things out with my hormones, finding out that they were very low and hence that's why they had thought that we lost the baby. So in our natural minds, we had thought we had found a reason for it happening, right? I think a lot of times is just 
our human nature. We want to know why we want a reason. If we have a reason, it almost gives us comfort knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's something anyone experiences with any type of loss, loss with a job, loss with someone in their family, um, you know, a hobby, whatever it is. Um, and so we kind of worked with, um, this doctor did some things as we thought in the natural, um, would, would kind of work. And we ended up trying again and got pregnant again. Um, kind of did the same thing over again. Now at this time we were definitely a little bit more hesitant and want to tell our families because we obviously didn't want it to something to happen like it had before. Um, and so we, we decided that we would tell our parents, um, and we were like, you know, going through this, we just need their support. We need just like their prayers going through this. Um, and so we ended up telling them and we ended up losing our second baby who we named Nehemiah. Um, and if you actually look in the Bible, they are right next to each other. Mm-hmm. right next to each other in the um, in the Bible. And so that's what we ended up naming him, and we lost him at eight weeks as well. Um, so after that, we really kind of um, were in a place where we're like, okay, this didn't just happen once, this happened twice, and we can't go through this again is essentially what went through our minds, and we're like, there has to be another reason, right? Like you're just trying to find any kind of answer that you possibly can. And at the same time, we were praying and trusting God. But honestly, we, I personally wasn't completely and utterly trusting him with everything that I had. I still wanted something to cling on to that gave me a reason Mm -hmm. why. Um, And so at that time, we ended up working with some other doctors, um, medical doctors did different testing, um, ultrasounds, all we threw the kitchen sink at it, trying to figure out anything. Um, if there was something wrong with my, um, you know, physical makeup or anything that was causing any of this. Um, so we went kind of down that road and essentially the answer they gave us is everything came back normal. We can't find anything wrong. Just try again. Um, and so that was really frustrating. We really felt that frustration. Um, and I'll let you, David, share a little bit too with that. Cause I know you probably have some things to add during that time. Yeah. And, and David, before you do, how soon after, um, Esther, did you guys get pregnant with Nehemiah? It would have been a few months. Um, Again, the timeline. Yeah, about um, four or five months after. Yeah. So within, I'm just wanting to put that in perspective, within a four to five month timeline, I mean, here you guys have this dream of of bringing life into the world, of of, of having a baby. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen with with Esther, this side of heaven at least. And then four, four or five months later, Nehemiah, kind of the same thing. I... Yeah, I, I, you said frustrated, Melody. I <laughs> I can't blame you. I, I can't even begin to understand the level of frustration that you guys probably probably had at that time. But yeah, David, uh, speak to us more about uh, Nehemiah. Yeah, I think um, the way that I described losing him was I was just a little bit numb. And, and like even talking about the timeline, it was pretty short after losing Esther. And like Melody said, we thought we had it figured out. And I think that's... Um, 
you know, something that maybe we can pull out of this as, as a lesson is it, we it's really not what we can do or, or what, what human brains can figure out because we went to the smartest of the smartest. We, we did like 50 different tests, you know, and, and, um, followed the recommendations perfectly and it still didn't work out. And, um, I just, yeah, I just felt numb. I just felt like, okay, how is this actually going to work? How are we actually going to be able to do this? You know, those thoughts start to creep in a little bit and, uh, just really difficult. Um, but, but through that, I think some of the frustration was with God. We we're working that out with him. And some of the frustration was with just the medical field and how, like, how could this happen two times? And you literally have no answers. Like you don't even have an inkling of, don't you guys know what you're doing? You know that. So just kind of frustration all around. And I think through that, through prayer, um, and that experience, we kind of got drove into, um, more of a natural health realm, um, with our fertility journey. And we found clinics that were helping us. And, uh, we actually, I don't know if I should transition to this story yet, but we got down to the, to actually find that we had mold toxicity in our home. And so that was like the next thing where we're like, okay, we found what's wrong. You know, we found that piece first. We thought it was just lower hormones. And then now we think that there's mold toxicity and there was like, it wasn't like we were making that up or, or that it wasn't true, but we found that. And then we went through a journey with the wellness way of almost a year of mold detox. So we had to um, completely redo our home a couple times, which was an expensive and large, long process. And then we had to just change the way we live, change the way we eat, take a bunch of supplements, spend all day in the sauna. It felt like, like, Stuff like that that we did in the natural while we were just trusting God and saying, okay, God, if this is this is what is wrong, we're going to do whatever we can to really fulfill our destiny that we believe he's put on our lives and our children's lives. And so we, we kind of went through that journey. And I think after the second one to maybe we grieved a little bit better. We That's when we, we named them and we were like, releasing balloons every year in their honor and just trying to speak their name and come to grips with the fact that we are going to see them again. And I think that was really helpful for us. Um, we went through a study, a John Eldred study called all things new. And he was just talking about how when we get to heaven or when Jesus comes back, that he's actually making all things new. He's not necessarily making all new things. And so that when we get on the other side of this, that we're actually going to recognize things. We're actually going to recognize people, but they're just going to be in this perfect form where that he's, that he originally intended. And I think that really encouraged us going through that season. Cause we're like, okay, we're going to see those kids again and they're going to be amazing without defect and, and perfect health. And, um, that helped us get through that season as we were kind of going through the physical stuff too. Yeah. And I love how you guys named Esther and Nehemiah working with, you know, clients in my practice that go through miscarriage and, uh, or just other, uh, horrific things with their pregnancies. That's one thing that I always just kind of suggest or encourage is to put a name to it because at the end of the day, it is a human being mm-hmm. and, and it, it is your child, whether they were able to, uh, experience life on this side of heaven or not. 
it's still your child. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just feel like, yeah, putting a name to it just makes it more real and, and puts things into perspective and can really help with that healing journey. So I think that's awesome that you guys named mm -hmm. Esther and Nehemiah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to add to that a little bit. Um, I think when we kind of ended up doing that, um, it really just gave them honor. Mm -hmm. Like we were able to honor our children, even though that they weren't here and just a piece of that also means that we're honoring God as well and recognizing that they were here and they'll always be our children. And yeah, when we went through this study that David mentioned, it was the biggest thing that I took from it is it really instilled a greater hope in us, the hope of eternal life and that we will get to see all of our loved ones fully restored and things that we've lost here, anybody like they will be new in heaven um, and just looking forward to and just almost having um, the mind like a child and imagining what heaven would be like. And really in that season, it was a summer. And so we, we really, um, we led a group actually through that study, which was really cool. And we just got to share different perspectives on what we think heaven maybe would look like and things we'd be doing there, what things would maybe look different. Um, and it just really kind of reminded us that our minds should kind of be in that spot more often than, than they are here. You know, sometimes we just get stuck in the mundane and the day after day or re routine things. And we forget about like heaven and what that's going to be like. And we're really going to be there much, much longer than we're going to be here. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a good word. Yeah. And I wanted to share a verse really quick um, from Romans 15, 13. And this was actually a verse actually even more recently that I've kind of been clinging to. But I'll just read what it says. Um, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So knowing that God is our source of hope, like through, through these losses, like he was inviting us in to a greater encounter with him, a greater encounter with his love and filling us with his hope that it really is him. He's the source of it. Um, and just knowing that that's where our joy and our peace comes from. It doesn't come from the world. There's nothing here that can comfort us like his peace can. Um, and so going through um, what David was just talking about, you know, as we were looking for answers in the natural as well, but still trusting God at this point, um, we kind of went through just a health journey, really, especially for me. And we found some things and I won't dive into all the nitty gritty with it, um, but we, we did find some other things that gave us some answers. But essentially, we were still trying to put this in God's hands and just say, okay, whatever you want to do, you know, in our lives through this process, we don't know how things are going to turn out, but we have hope that his promises are going to come true. And we know that he's faithful because he had been faithful in other things in our lives. And, um, we actually had some prophetic words spoken over us, um, over the years of being married and, um, they involved having children. And so we clung, clung to those um, words that we had received. And um, it really, that even alone also gave us encouragement and hope as well. 
and just believing because that's really all we had at that point in time. And um, through that journey and just preparing and getting ready to even think about trying for another child, um, you know, we kind of got to a spot where we both felt good about it. We had really just been filled up with hope and encouragement and other people encouraging us and um, actually receiving a word um, one year ago, even actually this month, Mm -hmm. um, of a very specific um, prophetic word from God um, that we would have a child full term um, coming in our future. And um, that kind of brings us to more of our recent... um, Experiences, but did you have anything else to add before we go into that? I'll just, yeah, I'll just comment a little bit on that. I just kind of feel like that Matthew 5 4 again as we were going through that. Um, we felt like we lost what was most dear to us, and we did, but we were really embraced by God, and um, He showed up in amazing ways, like ways that I've never seen Him show up before, and even in the prophetic. Um, speaking things very specifically over our lives that was really encouraging that um, we will have children they will be full of life Um, they have greatness in their dna and i just love even saying that with my mouth right now it brings me such peace even going through what we're going through Um, but just knowing that his word is true and it's going to come to pass and so we were just really excited to try again you know and and had a faith stirred and ready to go and so esther and nehemiah that happened uh like end of 2017 going into early 2018 yep. Yep. july 2018 was yep. when we lost nehemiah yep and so here it sounds like for the next couple of years two and a half yep. almost three years you guys really go on this journey of like really just trying to figure out okay what's going on here yep. and and really you know, leaving no stone unturned, yeah. so to speak. And mm-hmm. so brings us to 2021, what happens this year? Yeah. So after going through all that and just kind of being stirred up in hope, I remember, um, you know, this was 2020 was a crazy year for everybody. Uh, don't even need to touch on that much, but I was coaching wrestling for Kimball and they had basically canceled like the first two months, but then they started back up in January. So January of would have been 21. And, um, I remember getting ready for a wrestling season and, and, um, getting really busy and excited about that. And one of the days I came home for a lunch and, um, man, I forget how you told me I'm trying to remember how you told me, but I remember just being absolutely shocked. Like you're pregnant again. Like Um, and I couldn't concentrate the rest of the day. And so we find out we're pregnant again in January, 2021. And, uh, it was just an amazing blessing. Um, everything looked really, really good. so we were working with an awesome midwife who we love and, um, yeah, it was just an exciting time. We got to tell all of our friends and family, um, probably about the eight to 10 week mark. Um, we got to do like a gender reveal. So it's kind of some of these things that like we didn't get to do the first couple of times. And so we were just yeah. kind of feeling really good about things. And, uh, so that was just a, a super fun journey. Every appointment we went to was just amazing. Like I haven't heard the word perfect so many times, like, man, every, all the numbers look perfect. This is going really well. So 
we were just praising God and really, really excited. Yeah, I just wanted to back up a little bit because I had decided decided to um, start an online school um, through BSSM, which is stands for um, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Um, and the reason why I had chose to do that is I really just, I felt like I needed just a deeper level. Like not, not that something was missing, but I just, I just knew that this next season of my life, I was going to need just deeper encounters with God. And, um, I knew this was one way that I could do that and learn, you know, different things, dig into the word and really understand it and know how to apply it to my life. Um, and BSSM is the home of Bethel Church in Redding, yes. California. That's where Bethel Music is at, Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin. So, yep, which they're all awesome. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you've ever listened to their music, it's amazing. If you haven't, you definitely should give it a try. Mm -hmm. um, but I had joined, and so I had been put in a group with about 35 other people. We have something once a week called Revival Groups, which is really cool. Um, there's a pastor that kind of leads the group. And so um, we had a pastor. His name was Rainer. And I remember him specifically that month, January 2021, was the month that I had joined. So it was the first month of school. And, um, he, I remember him speaking a word just in general. It wasn't to me specifically, but I grabbed it cause I felt like it was for me. Um, and it just had to do with children and getting ready, um, and setting up. He actually even said things like setting up your nursery, which was completely out of the blue. Cause he wasn't even talking about any of that. Um, no one really said anything, but I caught it and I wrote it down in my journal and I just, you know, prayed about it, thought about it. And I felt like it was for us. And then later that month, we ended up finding out that um, we were pregnant with um, our son, Canaan. And so we were super thrilled, excited. We really even actually thought that the prophetic words we had received before were spot on, that we're like, this is it. It's happening. Um, the word is coming to fruition. Like we completely had believed that and had faith. And that, that God was coming through on his promises at this time. And so, um, you know, we got ready. And like David said, we were working with a midwife. And so um, we felt comfortable there and just um, going a little bit different route with that. And things were looking good. You know, we had decided not to do any genetic testing in the beginning. Um, some people choose to, some people don't. We decided not to because at that point we're like, we're going to love this baby no matter what, if there is something or if there isn't, and that's not going to change our minds. And so we didn't even want to do that. Um, and so we ended up not doing that testing. We didn't do the early on ultrasounds, um, but everything else was looking great. I was feeling really good. Um, I even remember finding myself at times even saying that it was a supernatural pregnancy because... I felt so good. I had no morning sickness. Um, my energy was good. I was able to do things that other people maybe wouldn't have been able to do while pregnant. Um, and so I was just really thankful at that time to be able to experience that, but also carrying um, my son at the same time. And so, like David said, we got to do the reveal and everything, which was really exciting. Um, and yeah, we, we really did feel like everything was just falling into place. Um, like, yep. That being said, were there any lingering concerns 
or fears, especially around that um, eight week mark or so that that seemed to be the the horrific number with with Esther and Nehemiah. Like when you found out you were pregnant, obviously there's joy, rightfully so. But maybe even in the back of your mind, were either one of you little concerned that we've gone through this twice before? Could it happen a third time? What, what was that part like for you guys? Yeah, thank you for asking that because yes, um, I I personally definitely felt fear. Um, and now that I remember back, I know I didn't mention earlier, but I definitely, after losing our second Nehemiah, I, that's really when the enemy just attacked me with fear full on and anxiety again, just came back and, you know, he really tried to root that down in my life. Um, I really did struggle with finding peace because there was so much fear after losing him. And so I, I felt it kind of creeping up back again because I, I was afraid like, okay, we, we just need to get for, through the first trimester. That was always like the goal in mind. Like we just need to get through it, you know, instead of thinking of, no, I want to thrive through this first trimester. My mind was so focused on, I'm, I'm worried about what could happen. Um, and David really had to help me in that, um, season because I did feel that way. And he really kind of just held things together and encouraged me and just poured that hope into me. Like, no, this is what God said. And we're going to stand on his word. And, you know, when God is here, when there is love here, there is no fear, you know, God is love. And, um, but yeah, I honestly did feel that way. Um, once we kind of got first through the first trimester, I just felt like a weight kind of lifted. I just felt so much better. Yeah, I can finally breathe things. maybe. Yes. Yeah. So yes. Yep. So then you guys get past that first trimester. Doctors are saying, I think David, you said, I've never heard someone say perfect so many times. Everything's looking good, looking good. Anticipation is building. Excitement is building that, yes, we can finally bring life into this world and and have our baby. And so what did the next part of this journey look like for you guys? Um, yeah, it's kind of the weeks got went on and we entered the second trimester and, you know, putting our nursery together, ordering things, planning um you know, getting ready for our baby showers and everything, just looking to the future, kind of what life would look like. You know, I'd be a stay-at-home mom and, um, you know, all those things that um, mothers and women tend to think about. We like to plan things out. Um, I know some guys out there like to do that too, um, but I know I especially did. And um, yeah, as we got closer, it was the summertime. Um, and in August, we had um, our first baby shower, um, David's mom actually, um, threw that baby shower for us. And, um, I was about, I believe I was like 31 weeks, I think. Yep. 31 weeks. Um, so we had the baby shower. Um, lots of friends came, um, and supported, um, just, I mean, everyone, we just felt like God had answered our prayers and everyone was just so excited. Um, people praying over me and, you know, just being encouraged and watching our story and our, our journey as well. Um, we had many people that did did know our journey and that were along, you know, and praying for us during that. Um, and so kind of going through that, a uh, few weeks had passed and I had my 34-week appointment coming up and David was actually going to be going on a elk hunting trip, which he was very excited about. And I was excited for him too. Um, but, um, he came to the appointment with me 
and um, just to you know make sure everything was fine. But before he was going to be gone for a week or a week and a half, you know, um, and so we went in together. And I remember, um, you know, just going through re- routine things. They're asking me, how, how am I doing? You know, am I feeling and moving and kicking? Yep, you know, you know, everything was feeling good, looking good. Um, and then um, we listened to his heartbeat. We could hear his heartbeat. Um, and then she measured me just to see how the growth was and everything. And she said, um, you're measuring small, and that does concern me. And I'll never forget those words. Um, and when she said concerned, then I was concerned. And I immediately, I was, I was felt that fear creeping in a little bit again. Um, but I was like, okay, well, we don't, I don't know what that means. So I'm not going to worry about it too much. Um, and so she ordered an ultrasound for that next morning. Um, we went in together, went home, really not thinking about it too much, honestly. Um, after our appointment the next morning, we're like, okay, we're going to go in for this ultrasound. Hopefully everything is good. Um, so we went in and they, um, the lady that did our ultrasound was really great. Um, very cordial, very nice. Didn't really say anything about, um, Canaan at all. And those results went to someone else to interpret them. Um, they sent them to our midwife. And at that time we were having lunch together at a restaurant I'm just waiting for the results to come back. And um, I remember David picking up his phone and um, she was just going over the results with him. And I, I was eating and I immediately, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was not right. Um, just no emotion, you know, on his face and him saying, okay, okay, a lot. And I knew, I just knew, like I just had that gut feeling something was wrong. And so um, he proceeded to, hand me the phone and um, she proceeded to tell me all the lists, laundry list of things that was wrong with our child, with Kanan. And I I immediately lost my appetite and I said, we have to leave. I can't cry in front of all these people in public. Um, I'm not going to be able to, I can't take it. And so we left and um, yeah, our, our lives or change forever at that moment. And, you know, it, it was shocking. I don't think we really believed it, honestly, in that moment. And so she had suggested that we come back the next day and do another ultrasound, in which they call a level two ultrasound. And so we went back in um, to do that that next day. We did tell our families so they were aware and they were praying. Um, you know, they didn't completely understand either as we didn't know the full details of this, essentially. Um, and so... And there was a prayer chain going out, yes. even with, like, our group of friends. Yes. You know, my wife and I had gotten a text just saying, hey, keep David and Melody in their prayers. Something, yeah. Something's wrong. We don't know what, or they don't know what yet, yes. so just pray. And I, I remember getting them just like, yeah. what? Like, yeah. no, like, I, I just seen you at church. You looked fine, yeah. you know, right? Like, how yeah. could there be something wrong here and so i remember my wife and i just yes. started praying for you guys just every day every night like god show up and do something so mm-hmm. so obviously a ton of people praying you go in for the level two ultrasound yes. yep which thank you so much for praying and thank you to anyone listening that was praying for us we mm-hmm. can't thank you enough i mean we really honestly felt every single prayer that was lifted up completely and it really did make a difference um but yeah, we, you know, we didn't know 
completely what this meant. We knew the things that she told us were just scarring. Um, I think to like just my heart to hear that there was all these things wrong with him. But again, they had to confirm it. So you were kind of like in that middle, like, okay, is this completely true? Is this not, you know, and just being really unsure. And so we shared with our families and went in the next day. Um, And that is really when things just started to hit a little bit harder. Um, And they proceeded to do the ultrasound. And this time, the person that I had doing the ultrasound was not, um, not as like cautious, I guess, like how she said things to us. It was just, yes, exactly. It was just straight up, you know, no BS, as I would say, like it was just straight on and it was really hard to hear. I think we were just both kind of numb in that moment and just wanted it to stop. Like we just wanted the world to just stop in that moment as she proceeded to tell us things. Um, yeah, I'll jump in here real quick so I don't lose my thought. But I think we were just in a, a real interesting tension between knowing what God had said and not and and really confessing that and declaring that over the situation, even though we were getting very opposite conflicting news from the doctors. And so I think there was a, a big part of us that just didn't want to believe it. And um, so, yeah, shock is a good way to describe it. Um, just, but also just being in faith too. Like we really were, I have no, no regrets of like giving up or anything like that. But um, yeah, it was just probably the hardest week of our lives really. That's not really exaggerating. I don't think, but yeah. What was that doctor saying? Um, well, he said a lot, well, numerous things, but in effect, and, and there might not be a lot of people listening that even know what this means, but he had a condition called trisomy 13, which is a chromosomal condition that I don't even know a lot about at the time of this recording. Maybe I will someday. Um, but it happens, you know, immediately at conception. So there's really nothing we did or could have done different, but there's an extra 13th chromosome. So similar to like a down syndrome situation, um, which I think is trisomy 23 or something like 21. that. 21. Um, but it's a, it's a lot more severe in the sense that people really don't live with this condition. And that was probably the hardest, that, that was the hardest thing to sum up what the doctor was saying. He said a lot of things, a lot of defects, you know, cleft lip, six fingers, six toes, brain issues, kidney issues, all those kinds of things are really hard to hear. But I think the hardest part was obviously if he lives, it'll be minutes, you know, not, not, you know, I think the world record is maybe a year or something. I don't quote me on anything, but it's not very long. It's not very like good um, prognosis at all. Um, so that, that was kind of the diagnosis, I guess. And they confirmed that through amniocentesis, which was another thing that was kind of scary. They had to jam a big needle down your belly. <laughs> yeah, I'll just add a little bit on to what you said. Um, but yeah, as we were kind of like waiting for the results, um, just for the doctor to come in after us, as she was doing the ultrasound, she was telling us all the different defects. And it just, in that moment, I was like, this cannot be true. Mm-hmm. Like how in the world? There's no way. You know, I was like, 
I don't know how she's getting that, but there's no way that can be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like you said, I was still standing on faith, even though I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, and so we went and waited, you know, and we, you know, had to hear all the diagnosis and the defects several times that day, which was hard just to kind of hear that every time. Um, but we had some genetic counselors come in. They described to us what they thought um, the diagnosis was for Canaan. Um, and the only way to confirm that was to do a procedure called amniocentesis. And for those that are or aren't familiar with that, um, they essentially take a sample of the amniotic fluid and they will test for different um, genetic or chromosome abnormalities or issues to create, you know, confirm a diagnosis and to also see if it would be a reoccurring thing in the future. Um, And so they, they did that. And I was, I had a hard time with even agreeing to do that because I just still didn't want to believe what they were telling us. Um, And so at that time, I remember um, after they left, they described, you know, they gave us pamphlets and a folder of what is trisomy 13 and what does that look like if you do have your child um, alive after being delivered. You know, they could live for minutes, like David said, hours or even days, um, they told us. And essentially, it would just be their care would just be making them comfortable till they pass away. Um, and so that, that was extremely hard to hear. Like I, I felt numb. It was almost like, it reminds me of, um, if you've ever watched the peanuts gang, like cartoons and it's like, you know, it didn't, I could hear, but it wasn't making no sense. Yeah. That's a ton of information to be thrown at you. And obviously none of it is, is good information. So yeah, yeah, it it just sounds like you guys were just shell shocked mm-hmm. yes exactly that's a perfect way to describe it and um, as a doctor came in and just described a little bit further of okay here's the decisions you're gonna have to make you know if he is alive and it was like if he is alive I was like he's gonna be alive like that's what I, I chose to believe and I remember going home that day after being in the hospital for many hours um, and having to tell our families and just continue to tell everyone, like, please continue to pray. All we have left is a miracle. And that's all we had left. We didn't have anything else to cling on to except God bringing us a supernatural miracle. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually remember at the time, like I was saying, I had joined the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, and there was someone um, on my group that actually had a testimony of him and his wife having a similar thing happen to their daughter who is now nine years old. Um, She shouldn't be here. She shouldn't have lived. Um, She didn't have the exact same thing that our son had, but it was very similar. And they had a testimony of God literally did supernatural, you know, miracle for their child, even through the ultrasounds they had done just days and, oh my gosh, we can't find this wrong with her anymore, you know? And so we, we were filled with so much hope and encouragement. Mm -hmm. And I think looking back now at the time, I'm glad that he shared that with me because it gave us extra hope and just something to cling on to. Um, because if we didn't, I think, you know, it just would have been so much harder to have any hope for that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, 
The next day we went in for amniocentesis. We did that procedure, um, came back home, and then it was Labor Day weekend. So we had to wait for results for a few days. Um, and so during that time, we had many conversations with our midwife and just, you know, potentially the things that would happen, all the things we didn't obviously want to talk about that were tough, um, but had to, you know, depending on how things would go. Um, and so um, it was actually a Monday. It was Labor Day of this year, um, 2021, September here. And um, I noticed something different. I hadn't like felt him move that day. I um, called my midwife and she had me come in um, that next morning right away for an ultrasound. Um, and there it was confirmed um, that we had lost our son. There was no heartbeat that they could find. Um, and so that was really hard. Um, you know, it was more real a little bit at that time. Um, she gave us, you know, some time just to cry and just, you know, hold each other and, um, you know, ask God, what do we do now? You know, and, um, just the whole process of thinking about where we wanted to deliver them. How did we want to deliver them? Cause I, as the mom, I still had to go through that whole process of, okay, we lost our son, but now I still have to go through that whole process. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was a, you know, just difficult things to think about. It's something that I don't, I would never wish on anyone. And I pray that no one has ever experienced this. Um, and if you know someone that has, um, or as someone that has listened, I'm, you know, I, my heart goes out to you and, um, you know, that's not God's best for you. And he didn't, he didn't create this. He didn't cause this to happen. Um, he's still good, which I know is hard to say or believe in the moment when you're going through it. Um, and he does work out things for good, even though, again, you don't see that in the moment. Um, and so, yeah, going through that, I can let you talk a little bit about sure. our experience. Yeah, I think one of the toughest things about going through this was it kind of felt like a rug got pulled out from underneath us because like everything was going so good. And there was literally like nothing on the negative side about this entire pregnancy. And so that, that was the news we were just given to our parents and siblings and everybody. And it was really hard when we got this news because we heard the really dark diagnosis, but we really didn't even want to, we didn't even want to like speak that or give that life. And so I, we didn't even, necessarily tell our family about everything and, and it's probably even like the text you got like just pray <laughs> just pray because i don't even want to say the word trisomy 13 or i don't want to say that there's going to be life-threatening issues and and so uh, i think going as the hours turned into days and this became more real seeing like my parents and your parents and our siblings like realize oh my goodness this is really bad and that was just like super hard to watch them kind of go through the same shock that we did and obviously we were in a lot of pain but then seeing them in a lot of pain kind of compounded the pain and just a really bizarre you know yeah turn of events um so 
yeah, going through that, that was, so Tuesday morning after Labor Day, we went in and they confirmed there was no heartbeat. And, um, because we had done the amnio. So one of the reasons we decided to do it, cause we didn't necessarily have to do it was if they confirmed it was trisomy 13, then they're basically they're The medical people have nothing they can do. So there's no reason to deliver in a hospital. Whereas if it was something else and there was a, like a, a reason that they could medically inter like, and save life, then they would recommend that we just would have did in the hospital, which made sense to us. But when they confirmed trisomy 13, they said, you know, it'd be fine. Even if you want to deliver at the birth center, if that's where you feel comfortable, because there's really just nothing we can do. So at least have a good birthing experience and, and, uh, that's the route we chose to do. And I'm really, really thankful that we did. We have an amazing God fearing midwife that prayed with us through the, the whole situation. Um, so that day we came home and actually she was actually recommending that we maybe get induced that day, um, and just go through the process. And we didn't really feel at peace about it. We wanted to do it naturally. That was kind of our heart. And, um, so we just prayed, God, this is a horrible situation and I'm kind of mad at you right now, but could you please just let this go naturally? And, um, at least the, the birth process go well. And, um, it really was amazing. So that day we got home, she started having contractions probably hours after that. And long story short, that night Canaan was born 1127. So it was really, really smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, labor went, you did really amazing and everything. And, um, her sister got to be there and my parents were there so that everyone got to hold him and just have time with him. We were, I think in a hospital setting, maybe we wouldn't have been granted that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were really thankful. We got to take pictures and just hold him and be with him. And, um, that was kind of, I don't know how to say it. That was kind of a, a nice way to give birth to this horrible situation where at least we felt peace and there was peace in that room and peace between each other. And we got that really healing, even though it was really hard, the really healing time with him. So, yeah, and I'm so thankful that you guys did have that time because, yeah, in a in a hospital setting, probably would, would have been much more rushed and, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of stuff going on there. And so in your setting, you were able to just kind of take that time to spend with him. Melody, for you, what was that like, you know, the delivery process, the birthing process with Kanan? Yeah, I, you know, like David said, when we were, when we came home and labor kind of kicked in, you know, it kind of became more real, like, okay, I do have to do this. I do have to go through this and just praying like, God, you know, please let everything go smoothly, you know, at least, you know, for this situation and, you know, let us be able to see him fully and be able to spend time with him. And he did give us that. And during the delivery, um, God actually gave me a vision of him. Um, sorry, it's a little hard for me to say. It's okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, he just showed me a vision of him and he's like, I'm here and I'm okay. And I'm, I'm with Jesus. And, um, 
That was the greatest gift of peace in that moment. Um, there was a lot of peace in the room. Um, you know, to anyone that goes through this type of situation, they don't always have that. You know, they don't always have God's peace. And um, I was just so thankful. We both were so thankful for that. And just that experience, even though it was so hard. Like, again, like the verse I said and was talking about, like, there is no peace that the world can give like that. There's mm-hmm. nothing like it. Only God can give that. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my experience, you know, um, getting to be with him and holding him for the first time and actually seeing him and just knowing that he um, wasn't like that. He didn't. He doesn't look like that now. He's fully restored already in heaven. Um You know, and just knowing that, like, this is just his body here and we are going to see him fully restored and it's going to be amazing together. And, um, yeah, I think just having the support that we did with everybody was really amazing. But, you know, during this time, we've really had to hold on and trust God. And again, those questions have have came up, to be honest, um, as I would with anybody you know, the how and the whys and even more so for people that know us and that are around us of not understanding or knowing our journey and also asking God why even on our behalf um, and just seeing so many people um, just touched by him and touched by our story already. And um, a couple of weeks later, we ended up having a service for Canaan um, at River of Life in Cold Spring. And, um, you know, I think from his life, he he already made a very big impact, bigger than we ever even thought at this point already. Um, you know, just even that day, people coming to know Christ. Um, we didn't even expect that. We didn't even know. Um, and so I think just even that alone and... Um, You know, I'm sure he's up there smiling because he knows, you know, that God is already using him for that purpose. And, um, you know, that also gave us peace too. like something good is coming from this. Yeah, I think um, going through the service and and trying to just remember him and and honor his life was really healing. It is really healing. Um, This weekend we celebrated his due date. October 15th, which is ironically is pregnancy and infancy loss remembrance day in in our country. So it's really interesting coincidence to say the least that that was his due date. Um, so we were able to just gather with some other bereaved parents and, um, release lanterns on a lake and say their names. And, uh, then yesterday we got to gather with our families and what we've done is we've created a little memorial garden for him. And so where we buried him, we named it the land of Canaan because his name is obviously a a biblical name that uh, we believe was our promised land. And so that's why we named him Canaan. And so we created what we call the land of Canaan on our property and we planted an oak tree in his honor. Um, We had a bench made and um, the wrestling team gave us a maple tree. So we're kind of like starting this memorial garden for him and we our families got together and just released balloons for him this weekend um which was another really healing 
super hard day. And, you know, I would just say for everyone, anyone who's going through something like this or, or anything that's painful, that it's okay to cry. Like it's okay to feel all the emotions. And I think the Holy spirit showed me that, you know, grief comes in, in different stages, but it's not a linear thing. So it's okay to cry and to laugh and to do all of those things. Like there's not like a set time and okay, I'm done with that. Like it's, uh, letting yourself feel all the emotions is important. And I think that's just kind of a little bit what we've done um, in that. And then really wrestling with God um, because like you said, like we've talked about in this podcast, we've gotten prophetic words. We thought that this was the answer and just really just like, man, what is going on? And this random freak thing that happens to like, Point zero 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 one percent of people. Why us? Why now? After all this, and um, I think um, I don't know if I can find it, but I think it's in Deuteronomy twenty nine. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. And uh, I think there's just some things that we don't understand, and those secret things really belong to Him. And I think that. Um, through this, again, we're being embraced by the one that's most dear to us. And one of the things that he spoke to me early after his death, I think the very, the very next day, um, let's see if I can find it here. I'm just going through my notes. Um, is don't let lack make you run in shame. Frustration is an invitation. And uh, I really felt like I was frustrated. Like I was frustrated with God, like I was frustrated, like God, if this wasn't going to happen, why'd you give me that word? And, um, he just felt like he said, frustration is an invitation. Don't run in the frustration, but come get to know me, really know my heart. And it's really an invitation to go even deeper in our relationship with him. And as we do that, we continually, like I said, every day, day by day, find healing and find comfort and find joy. And, um, it's certainly a process, but I know that God's word is going to come to pass. Um, and we're kind of in the middle of it. I, I remember pastor Dylan spoke about this months, months ago about Noah got a rainbow and Abraham got circumcision and <laughs> they, they both had a promise, but why did he, why did he get a rainbow? And then I get this, you know, and then I feel like I'm, I'm sitting in that moment. We're sitting in that moment right now. Like, I know this promise is coming, God, and I can't wait, but this is hard and we're in the middle of it and we still love you and we still trust you. And it's kind of where we're at. And I think David, you just answered the question I was going to ask is I think anybody listening to this, you lose Esther, you lose Nehemiah, you lose Canaan. I, I think it, a lot of people just be like, why would you continue to trust in God then? Yeah. He's, he's, he's let you down three times. He's, he's kind of like teased you with, here's this gift. And then he, and then he took it away. Like, I think there's probably people out there listening to this, like, just wondering like, why, why would you still follow God after this? And like you said, David, it's just, it's just trust. It, it's faith. And, and I feel like it, sometimes we're in situations in life where we can't just say we have faith. We actually have to live our faith. You know, situations where the rubber really needs to meet the road. 
And those are super hard situations to be in, not fun seasons to be in. But I think doing that, 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 that gets us to, to our breakthrough, you know, with, with these negative emotions that we're feeling right now. And so, yeah, David, I think you just answered that question perfectly is just, you keep believing and you keep, uh, holding on to God's word Mm -hmm. and, and you keep knowing that he is good and that he uses all things for good and, um, and just kind of seeing what happens Mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've been encouraged by people around us, which I know you and, and everybody listening to this, you might know us personally that have just encouraged us a lot, but we're encouraged by a lot of stories in the Bible, by even the story of David, who I love studying because that's my name. Um, but part of the prophetic word that we received was about there being greatness in our DNA and there being greatness in our seed. And I realized, you know, when David, David lost his son and then he wrote many of the amazing Psalms after he lost his son. But then after that, he gave birth to Solomon, who was one of the wisest Kings that ever lived. And I think that's encouraging us like, okay, there's going to be greatness coming out of this. And I don't understand. I'm not trying to make light of death. I don't understand why he couldn't live on this side of eternity. And I don't think I ever will until I get to eternity. I've even wrestled with God with that. Like, God, are you going to show me why? And I felt like he said, no, <laughs> you're not going to know why. Not not until all things are restored and, and, and you, pr- you won't even have to ask. When you're here, you, you'll just, you'll know. And so that gives me great peace. And it kind of allows me to let go too and say, I, this isn't about me knowing why this is just about me trusting God. Yeah. And so that's helped me a lot. And you use that term wrestle with God a couple of times. And I think, you know, for anyone listening to this, it, I think it's important for you guys to know that it's okay to wrestle with God. Like God can handle our frustrations and our anger and our just utter confusion of our circumstances. And he wants us to come to him and, and like you guys said too, just like allowing yourself to feel those emotions as, as you go through that roller coaster of grief. And that's how I explain it to my clients as well, is that you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. There is no chronological linear structure to this. It's, it's a roller coaster. And I think, yeah, a, a key to that is just allowing yourself to feel those feelings. God gave you those feelings for a reason. Like God gave us feelings for a reason and Jesus felt the same ones. Mm-hmm. And so just continuing to come to him and surrendering them to him and just trusting that God, you will, you will make good on your word where you will use this horrible situation for amazing situations. And that includes something amazing that happened at Canaan's funeral. David, why don't you tell us what happened there? Yeah. Um, one of the cool things our community is amazingly supportive and I get the pleasure of coaching our, our local wrestling team here in Kimball. Um, last season, we just won our first state championship in school history, which was really fun. Um, really cool seeing these kids set goals and achieve them. And, uh, every single one of them showed up at the funeral, which I didn't expect. Um, but it was really amazing. They all took off a of school on, on a day that they had an away football game. They all play football too. And, and they came and supported our family. And, um, you know, Denny spoke, Kirby spoke, which was really special. I got to deliver a little bit of a eulogy from Canaan's perspective. And um, 
there was a call for salvation and many of the wrestlers, I don't even know exactly the number. Um, Melody thinks four, but who knows except for God really um, raised their hand to accept Christ into their hearts and, and for him to become their Lord and savior. So I know uh, pastor Denny joked or didn't joke with us. He just told us with joy that, you know, Canaan is already a little evangelist and that was pretty, pretty neat. Yeah. A, a amazing testimony in and of itself mm -hmm. right there. So as you guys kind of mentioned, October is pregnancy and infant loss awareness month. I'm sure there's people listening to this who are going through hell on earth with, with the loss of their children or remembering the loss of their children. What do you guys want to say to them? Yeah, that's a great question. And first off, I, I just want to say, I'm really sorry. I know that's cliche. I know that I'm kind of sick of hearing that personally, but I feel like I, I just need to say it. Um, it is hell on earth. It shouldn't be this way. You know, we talk about other kinds of losses that are all hard. Um, but you lose parents or you lose adult relatives or you lose people that are older than you. And that's kind of just the natural way of things. And I'm not trying to make light of it. So I hope people don't hear it that way. It's all hard. But when you lose a child, especially one that you never got to meet on the side of eternity, there's just this emptiness that, that is incredibly hard to describe. Like it, it shouldn't be that way. That's not the natural order of things. Um, and so I, I just first want to say, I'm sorry, but I also, I also want to proclaim that there's hope and the worst day in history was when Jesus Christ was crucified and we all thought we lost. We all thought, um, it was over. And I think the disciples actually ran and hid. Um, but three days later he resurrected and changed eternity for all of us. And so, um, hang in there, um, keep trusting, keep believing, um, keep declaring God's word over your lives. And I just wanted to share this word out of Isaiah 61 that we received, um, Isaiah 61 two, and I'll read through, I'll just read two through three to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I just release that over anybody who's listening over our lives, um, Terry, over your life, over your family. Um, I just really believe, you know, that was one of the things we wanted to do was plant an oak tree because of this verse and, uh, that, that, that he's going to turn mourning into praise and he's going, it's going to call us oaks of righteousness and, and his glory is going to be displayed. And, um, so continue to, to, to press on and trust him. And I really also just kind of wanted to close my thoughts on um, one of the things that my dad said to me when we were going through this, which I think was from the Lord, but maybe it's for you today too, where he just said, loss is not going to define your life. And I really needed to hear that. And, and even as we share this testimony, I just, I see that there's been a lot of loss, but I also 
just break that in Jesus' name right now and, and say that loss is not going to define our life and loss is not going to define your life, whoever might be listening next week or, or years from now. I don't know, but um, I just bless you with that and uh, encourage you to keep the faith. Yeah, thank you, David. I definitely, you know, I would repeat everything that you just said because I think it's, um, anything that's hard, you know, that someone loses or someone that someone loses is hard and just, um, believing, you know, scripture really comes alive when you are really searching. Like I remember just, you know, going through my Bible and being like, I got to find a verse that, you know, not gives me an answer, but just really speaks to my heart that I need right now. And just, you know, spending that time with God. But I just wanted to remind anyone that's listening that no matter how old your baby was, you know, if you lost him at six weeks or 10 or 12, 14, 20, whatever it is, um, they all mattered. And you are a mother and you are a father um, and you always will be. At that moment, um, you became a parent. Um, and and God is our parent as well. Um, I like to look at that, you know, we're his children and he, he always wants what's best for us. He always takes care of us, um, whether we know it at the time, um, or not. And, you know, it's a way that, a way that we can honor our children are, um, just like what we have done is naming them and honoring their names and, um, you know, knowing that they were here and creating memories. I think that's a big thing for us. And even if it's been years down the road for you, if you're listening to this and you're like, gosh, I never named my child, you still can, you know, you can at any moment, um, and you can still do things to honor them and have remembrance of them and create good, healthy memories, you know, for the future with that. So I just want to encourage you with that as well, um, because I know some people feel like they can't. You know, I've had people come up and say to me, well, I didn't lose my baby at 35 weeks. You know, it was only eight weeks and there's no difference there. You know, don't try to compare your story to someone else's. Um, God God has an amazing story ahead for you, and I know he does for um, David and I as well, even though you can't see right now, but I believe God does his best work in the times like we're in right now, when you're in the hardest times of your life, when you're down in the dumps and you, or you're in a crisis or you don't know what to do, you don't have any answers, that's when he's doing his greatest work. Um, and I was reminded the other day, the story of David and Goliath, when um, David defeated Goliath, right, he um, hit him essentially in the head with a stone. But when he went up to him, he cut off his head with Goliath's sword. He didn't use his own sword. He used the enemy's sword against the enemy. And I think when you're going through something like this, the enemy is going to always try to come in at your weakest times like this. He's going to try to come in and bring in envy or bitterness, whatever it is, comparison with other people's lives. And um, you have to use that against the enemy himself. And, you know, that's what David did. Um, he defeated him, defeated the enemy with the enemy's own weapon. And God has given us the greatest weapon, though, 
um, the Bible, his word. And, um, it speaks so clearly to us. And, you know, just even if you're answering or asking questions and the why questions, you know, just start reading in the Psalms. That's what I recommend, you know, just read through David's story and the things that we, he went through and, um, even create laments, um, in your life. It's okay. God can handle it. It's okay. Um, he knows how you feel. Like David said, I mean, he lost his only son. He had one of the greatest losses. Um, so he knows exactly how it feels. And so, um, yeah, I just wouldn't encourage everybody listening and Terry and you guys as well, and just continue to believe and have hope and stand on his word. And um, thank you so much for this opportunity and just this time as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, you guys have been amazing and, and incredible. And thank you for being willing to share your story as you're walking through a horrific time in your lives right now. But, you know, kind of the tagline that I say at the end of every episode is glorify God and, and kick Satan's butt. And, and, and I don't say that just to be like, you know, edgy or anything like that. Like, no, like, I, I believe that's why we've been put on this earth. I'm here to glorify God. I'm here to kick Satan's butt. And I feel like by you guys being open with your journey and, and, and just allowing your story to minister to the world, you guys are doing exactly that as well. And, and you're not going to let the enemy just, just win, right? You know, the enemy wants you to feel like, well, this is it. You know, you guys just are not destined to have kids. You know, every time you think you're going to have kids, I'm going to do something to, to pull them away. And I just stand with you guys in agreement and prayer that you will have kids. They will have that DNA of greatness. And uh, your story, guys, your story is far from over. I fully believe that. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what, what God does. And thank you again so much for being willing to, to come on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. I mean, man, what bravery and courage David and Melody displayed by sharing their story with you guys. But more than that, what hope, faith, and trust in God they have. And that's what David and Melody really wanted to display in the podcast. When I asked what the main message was that they were wanting to get across during their testimony, they said they wanted to give people hope. And I believe they just did. I think their story really goes to show that even though we may not ever understand why tragic things happen in our lives, our job isn't necessarily to try to understand it, but to just trust that God is working all things for good. If you guys have any questions for David and Melody, use the hashtag AskTWT across the Testimonies with Terry social media pages, and we'll have them answer a few. I'll be back next week with another testimony. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe to this podcast. Leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Check out the merchandise link to grab yourself a shirt or hoodie. And live your life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt.